And now, and now, it's time for News with My Son. And on the telephone, from the beach where it's much cooler than in Portland, Jefferson Smith. How you doing, my son? I've been better. I've been better. But it's nice to hear your voice. And it was indeed lovely at the beach. It's been hot in Portland, as I understand it. Is it looking like the the uh, predictions of it being a super hot one again today remain valid? It, they do appear. It's a very warm morning and it got to 100 yesterday. I'm hoping it won't get to 100 today, but it might. You know, usually Eugene is about the same temperature as Portland. It doesn't look like it, do, it doesn't look like uh, Eugene is getting the same kind of uh, getting the same kind of hit. Something I find weather patterns interesting. As I get older, I find them more interesting. I don't think that makes them more interesting for other people. The fact that I am older, but anyhow, yeah, looks like it's going to be 99 again today. It's a warm, warm day. So take over. Wait a minute. You're in the studio. You're in charge. How you can do the field. Go ahead. Well, if I'm in charge, then I've got to say that I have two shout outs. First, I want to shout out for Bread for the World, which is an organization in Florida, headquartered in Florida, that seeks to help address the problem of hunger, that asked. Congressman Ted Yoho to leave their board because his treatment of AOC did not comport with the values of Bread for the World. My compliments. And then I want to compliment and say shout out for Tom Ridge, former governor and former head of security, the security administration for George W. Bush, who criticized DDT, and DDT came back with a tweet, which of course is what DDT says, and when Ridge was asked to comment on the president going after him, he said, hey, consider the source. That is just beautiful. Consider the source. My compliments to Tom Ridge. Before we dive into the news, I want to mention that Olivia de Havilland wonderful superstar Hollywood star nominated for an Oscar for her role in Gone with the Wind made it to 104 but is not going to make it to 105 and Regis Philbin has passed at 88 two great personalities okay well I would feel most comfortable lad if you would assume control <laughs> Comfort is one value, Dan. Comfort is one value. Well, Pop, where do you want to start? Well, I, I think we should just we should mention, uh, and we'll get into it maybe deeper, but that I think DDT, and by the way, for folks who haven't listened to this program before and don't understand who DDT is, the middle D is Donald, the T is for Trump, the D is for the adjective of your choice. It could be disgusting, it could be disabilitating, it could be disabling, it could be whatever you like. I like disreputable. Anyway, I think he is intentionally wagging the dog. And what I mean by that, he knows that sending his Border Patrol goons, who have been trained to ignore constitutional limitations in dealing 
with the public, sending them to Portland and threatening to send them elsewhere, that he knows this is liable to create nationwide unrest, which it is in fact doing. People in Seattle, people in Oakland, people are all going out to protest what his goons are doing in Portland. 5,000 people got out over the weekend in Portland. That's something that is very, very concerning. But I'm just wondering if because the cities around the country are reacting negatively, if we can just if we can just get a, get better control over the folks who want to break things up rather than just peacefully protest might not work what are your thoughts well yeah cities around the country have are acting in solidarity with portland uh, 35 major cities have created solidarity actions we've had 59 consecutive nights of protests in portland uh, at night, there was more violence from police and federal agents, as well as property destruction, destruction from demonstrators. At least one protester from Atlanta was uh, fatally shot by a motorist who threatened protesters with his car. Uh, Portland demonstrators gathered again outside the Justice Center. Federal authorities estimated about 5,000 people showed up, as you mentioned, Pop. Uh, federal agents sprayed tear gas and pepper balls long before the gathering was declared a riot at one fifteen. The order previously imposed upon Portland agents was they couldn't use certain crowd suppression tools, crowd suppression uh, weapons, uh, until a riot had been announced, until there had been some notice for people to disperse. That order is not uh, governing federal agents, and they uh, opened fire with their, uh, with their suppression tools, their suppression weapons, uh, before they made such an announcement. Portland uh, protesters threw fireworks as the night continued, eventually pulled down the fence around the Justice Center. We do have a clip, we do have a video from, uh, from an activist group who had this to say, and thanks to Carly for pulling this. We will stay in the streets until every institution in our society reflects the acknowledgement that Black Lives Matter, and we hope you will too. Uh, the well, you guys are sure the question. I, I think it's sort of one of my thoughts. I'm not exactly sure. You know, there's a myriad number of thoughts. Also, I don't think, Dad, you fooled anybody when you said, when you said, do you want to take control? I don't think anybody, I don't think you fooled anybody that was going to last for more than the first clause of my sentence. I, I think that that was, it was well played, Pop, but I think people <laughs> see through your ruse. Uh, I, I do, I mean, I do worry. I do not only worry, I think. That a lot of what we're seeing is psyops. A lot of what we're seeing is uh, is a you know Potemkin Village play, a, a Kabuki theater that is uh, that is to uh, not only distract but to focus the attention and create a story of law enforcement uh, versus anarchy. Uh, and I think much of the challenge that protest strategists have is how to make the uh, is how to, and I think they've done some marvel, marvelously smart things. Uh, is how to make the uh, protest uh, a stick to its stated objectives and uh, and, ha- and and yield a kind of moral and legal response uh, that uh, has more people who want to affiliate it, whether they show up or not. But yeah, I, I think we've discussed.
discussed that a little bit before. Uh, now that the cease and desist against federal officers has been at least temporarily rejected, I do wonder if you have any, uh, well, you hate predictions, but if you see any scenarios of what might happen going forward. If you've, if you've thought about a timeline on this, uh, either for the relationship between federal officers and the police bureau or just a timeline for what, uh, how long protests might continue to go on, that video said until all institutions in our society reflect the acknowledgement of Black Lives Matter, uh, that is vague enough to bear significant uh, variance in prediction. But, Dad, do you have any thoughts about next step? Well, how long is it going to last? Billy Williams, the U.S. attorney for Oregon, has said, hey, these guys are going to stay until there's no more, quote, violence, close quote, of course. And and I just wonder, it's gone on now for 59, 59 straight days, and, uh, and one of the biggest crowds they had was over the weekend, I just wonder if it's going to go on to the election. What what really worries me is that at some point, at some point, somebody is liable to be killed by the border patrol folk or a border control person. At which point we'll really have an exacerbation. I some, somehow we we we've got to do something to stop the young and almost exclusively white and, and I, I got to be careful about what the, the opprobrium word I use to describe them that who who just get off at breaking things and, and I don't believe really care two squats about racial justice what they want to do is just fulfill their need to break things and show I don't know if I'm I don't know if I'm ready to jump off that train again uh, I, under, uh, I understand you're not I, but I, I am I, wanna, I am I ready we've got to do get something off, to get off my lawn to get off my lawn moments I think you've you've made I think you've offered that you in the past hey, the, the get off the get off my lawn analogy doesn't fit they there was nobody on those people's lawn they were not threatening anybody they they in fact that couple that came out and I don't know if you've read how that couple has a penchant for causing trouble and filing lawsuits and making idiots of themselves. They epitomized epitomized the kind of thing that DDT is trying to pull off. So the analogy just does not fit. But when uh, starting starting it about midnight well, or a little the, before, I'm saying you're the get off my lawn guy. I'm not talking about anybody in Florida or wherever the heck that was. Uh, the uh, I just have to move to argue this morning. Uh, I do. If there's something else about the protest, go ahead. Otherwise, well, 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 talk well we're talking about the unrest. Judge Mossman, federal Judge Mossman, told the Attorney General of Oregon, Ellen Rosenblum, that she did not have standing to seek any sort of an injunction or control over what these Border Patrol goons are doing. And it's very weird. He bought into he bought into the argument that the government brought that said, well, since the attorney general can only describe stuff that has happened and cannot predict for certain the future, 
that means she does not have standing. That just blows my mind. But on, on the other hand, Federal Judge Simon has told the Portland cops that they should cool it, and by entering that order may well have eliminated, at least to some extent, Portland police ability to claim qualified immunity. So that's something to keep an eye on. And that's that's what I have about the unrest. And uh, Republicans plan to reveal their new stimulus plan on Monday. Did you really catch some of the details? Well, <laughs> excuse me. The, the details are that I'm afraid it's going to be too much like the first stimulus package. The... Uh, they want to make sure that they don't give people enough money that it encourages them to stay home rather than going to work, which I think is nonsense. People, yeah, it's partic- it's people like to go to work. It's particularly, I think, they've got to be getting, the Republicans have got to be getting pressure from the Chamber of Commerce, who is, particularly for large businesses, who much of their profit is based on uh, on low-wage workers and uh, and low-wage workers who, if there is a six hundred dollar a week, uh, uh, there's six dollar a week, six hundred dollar a week, excuse me, payments uh, can will be more than more than they earn, and uh, it's got to be getting that pressure, and also just continues to want to pretend that nothing horrible is happening except for whatever, I don't know, a few protesters might do by spray-painting something. But, yeah, over the over the weekend, some of the major coronavirus relief measures ended. Uh, Saturday marked the end of the expanded unemployment benefits. Those are the $600 a week payments. Uh, there is another $1,200 stimulus check that is, uh, that is planning to, that they are planning to send out. Republicans and Democrats do seem to agree to. But one of the things, one of the things that they apparently, and I assume it's going to be in the proposal, they really, really want to put a no liability for at least five years, retroactive, by the way, for employers, for anybody who is has to come to work and gets sick with the virus, which, of course, if they if they pull that off. It uh, allows employers to force workers to come to work when they know that it's a mistake for them to do that. Uh, automatic forbearance on student loans ends at the end of September. Federal aid for freelancers and contractors, some of that will continue until the end of the year. Senate Republicans are expected to unveil their proposal for the new stimulus package today. It was delayed after GOP leaders agreed on how much to reduce those unemployment benefits. And I still don't know what the, uh, if there's going to be, if there's right now a level that is being negotiated, what they predict there being. Uh, Biden's plan that he's now pushing would have it based on unemployment levels. So as the economy recovered, the benefit reduced as the unemployment uh, and as the economy persist, uh, economic challenge persisted, then the benefit would persist. Uh, and Dad, yeah, I'm sure that one of the bargaining chips in the negotiation is that saying, okay, well, give us give us liability shield so that employers can do what they choose, 
if you give us that, then we'll give you some version of unemployment benefits. I suspect the, the negotiation might not be that simple, but I suspect it's those are two of the hot, most hotly debated things that's happening real time right now. And all that they're saying is we must make sure that we don't give people incentives not to go to work. The hypocrisy, when you look at the last stimulus, the biggest winners in the last stimulus were big banks. J.P. Morgan, $800 million. There were several banks that received more from the last stimulus than their entire 2019 revenue. There were two mega churches that got between them more than $5 million. <laughs> we got a text in, by the way. Who are the 60 people in Portland who were detained or arrested? Uh, I don't have the names of those folks. Uh, I suspect we might be able to find them for a few extra, future episode, uh, but we don't have them. Uh, and then another question we got, uh, why can't Ellen Rosenblum, our attorney general, go back to court with them as plaintiffs, as the judge suggested? Uh, remember, her case got thrown out for standing, and now, but uh, and it's an excellent suggestion. I, I don't know what the current uh, what the current state of play is if uh, Ellen Rosenblum is reloading her lawsuit and and bringing it back with new plaintiffs. But I suspect that a new uh, a newly crafted like, suite of lawsuits, tech, the SCLU, has filed a bunch of stuff, and I suspect that will. Uh, I suspect that will uh, continue. Yeah, it would strike me that just what occurred over the weekend might give her an argument overriding Judge Mossman's ruling. Of course, Judge, Judge Mossman has a history of very conservative judgments on several this subjects. This is worth. This is this is worth saying. By the way, I, I believe it was Bork. I think I've got it right that it was Bork who used to give his. Law clerks and bounty. I don't remember if it was a cash bounty or lunch or so, but there was an old, an old federal court's legend about a conservative, uh, and by legend I don't mean apocryphal, I don't mean a fake story, but about, and this is worth understanding, for any law clerk who would write an opinion, the way it works is most opinions written in the federal reporter are signed by a judge but written by some, written by some kid who got good grades from a good law school. And the, and if a clerk, and I think it was Bork, but it may have been another uh, famous conservative judge, if a law clerk was able to write an opinion to dump a case based on standing, they would win a cookie. They'd win a prize. They'd win a lunch. I forget what the prize was. And that is deeply important to understand, that one of the ways that you can limit the ability of civil rights legislation to protect people, one of the ways you can limit the ability of federal courts to wield muscle in defense of people is if you can limit the ambit of those courts entirely. Right, to, to, say, to, to say we don't believe that you're really the one being hurt and so you're the wrong one to bring the lawsuit. That if you don't have to, uh, if you don't have to hear the lawsuit at all, then you don't have to take the political hit of saying that the 14th Amendment or the 4th Amendment or the 1st Amendment fails to defend something. All you have to do is just say, no, 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 the federal courts can't sit. So much of the fight, it is true, the progressive folks have underappreciated, underestimated, have been underknowledgeable about the ambit of federal courts, about their importance. There have been more judicially motivated voters 
among conservative voters than progressive voters. And I, I do believe that a little bit of that over the last few years is starting to change just, just a little bit. I do think people realize that, uh, that a lifetime appointment out of one of nine seats in our three branches of government is worth a heck of a lot. And that winning the Senate, winning the presidency, so that you can pick up a couple of those lifetime appointments is, you know, now they recognize that there have been billions of dollars, literally billions of dollars spent with that in mind. And so understanding how important it is, how important standing is, how important the, just the reach of federal courts in general are, is a big deal. They had Miracle Boyd, a recent high school graduate, is suing the Chicago Police Department for knocking out her teeth. Uh, she attended a protest, Miracle attended a protest at Grant Park in Chicago where activists tried to pull down a Christopher Columbus statue. Boyd said officers swatted her phone out of her hand and the phone struck her face, knocking out some of her teeth. Her lawyer said that the action was within her First Amendment rights. The reaction was not. Uh, here's a very quick clip from Miracle Boyd. There is go. no way I should have left a protest bruised and battered for exercising my freedom of speech and freedom to assemble. I am disgusted and never would I have ever thought I'd become a victim to the biggest gang in America. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot believed the protest was not peaceful, and this is what Lori Lightfoot had to say. That's anarchy, and we're going to have to put that down, end quote. That the, uh, uh, this gets back to your point about the line between which protests are protected by the First Amendment and which aren't, uh, and which protests are, uh, and, and Lori Lightfoot is in the spot of trying to uh, parse between uh, parse between what's a protest and, pro- and and between what's a riot, and you've had your view based on that. And I don't mean to cheapen the importance of that. I mean I do think that done wrong, uh, certain conduct can play in the uh, can play. I mean, there's a reason why uh, protest actions get infiltrated by folks who work to discredit them. But I think we've heard about that. Anything else, Dad? You you jump you jumped so right. fast from talking about the Supreme Court to the poor girl who got her teeth knocked out of Chicago that I didn't have a chance to interpose. I'm going to do it now. Remind everybody to be sending all of the energy you can out into the universe to help Justice Ginsburg be okay. She's got to be okay. She's got to be okay. She, she she has cancer, and cancer keeps coming back. She's just got to last till January. I hope she lasts a lot longer than that, but she's got to last till January. Yeah, and I've mentioned this before, but the, the judge for my clerk uh, said that he that he said no, no self-respecting, no self-respecting Republican uh, judge would would. Uh, he was a Republican-appointed judge, although by the time he was serving, he wrote what would be now considered pretty liberal opinions. Uh, no self-respecting Republican federal judge would step down or die while a Democrat was in the White House. Uh, and this, of course, is related. You know, there are a lot of people who were urging and uh, urging during the Obama administration uh, for uh, for the justice to step down. So now, yes, all folks can do, I, I suspect, is prayer, as you said, send energy. The uh, There's some huge profits being made by pharmacy executives, drug company executives, because they are involved somehow in producing a vaccine. Uh, 
And there's a serious worry that they may be hyping what they're doing with the vaccine well out in front of the success they're actually having. Just one example, the one company, one company got, it's called VaxArts, four times its stock price went up in just two days and the executives of that company had just taken very large stock stock benefits a couple of days before that never 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 underestimate folks ability to make money out of bad news for others the there's a there's a serious survey that's that predicts that as many as 60% of the restaurants that have closed because of the pandemic will never come back that's a lot of restaurants the uh, today something to be aware of today amazon apple google and facebook are all going to be in front of the House Judiciary Committee in hearings on antitrust and whether or not we should be concerned about antitrust in relation to those companies? The answer, by the way, is yes, we should be very, very concerned. Other economic news, Tesla made a profit in the last quarter. Intel has lost 16% of its stock because they're having some difficulties. The and Ford, Ford is investing as is announced that it's going to put 11.5 billion dollars on electric automobiles. They are really going all in on electrics. And one of the things they're looking at is a 1,400 horsepower Mustang, an electric car that will produce 1,400 horsepower. That just scares me to death. Jeff, are you there? I am. Good. What? Just a couple of other couple of other economic things that I just want to mention. The cod fisheries in the Northeast Maine and the Northeast United States in serious serious trouble. The cod crop is diminishing. DDT, his his administration is, has approved the Pebble Mine in Alaska which is liable to have very serious effects on wildlife and on salmon in Alaska. It's not a done deal because Alaska still has to agree and, and you have to jump, jump through some state hoops. But the Alaskan government has pretty much consistently looked how to let developers have their way. And then just one other economic piece, if you would like to purchase an F-16, that's a military fighter that is no longer in the, the arsenal because the 15 and the 23, 21, 35 all taken. But anyhow, there's one for sale for just eight and a half million bucks. You can have an F-16, which will, if you put on the afterburner, go quite above the speed of sound. COVID, 
COVID, we've, ki- we've lost over a thousand people for four days running. One hospital, the Star County Memorial Hospital in Rio Grande, Texas, is seriously talking about sending folks home to die because they don't have enough space for everybody who's sick, and so they have to triage. And if they don't think they can save you, they figure, well, we'll send you home and we'll keep people who we think maybe we can save. Pretty scary. The, uh, what we know, well, not, let's, I'll, I'll start with this one because it included a question that I had for you. The, uh, well, I'll start with Hurricane Hannah hitting South Texas. Uh, it's, now, it's the first major storm of the 2020 season. Beginning as a hurricane before being downgraded to a tropical storm made landfall on Saturday. Authorities will have to shelter and uh, follow shelter evacuation procedures as well as pandemic regulations, overlapping crises impacting South Texas. Disaster declaration has been issued for 32 Texas counties. Also, Hurricane Douglas, which is one of only four storms in history to hit the Hawaiian Islands dead on, it's currently tracking just north of Kauai. Uh, and in that context, it is worth mentioning, again, that Biden presented his $2 trillion plan to eliminate greenhouse gas emissions, plans to mitigate climate change while also providing a bunch of jobs in the clean energy economy. It's, you know, a $2 trillion version of a Green New Deal. Focus on upgrading homes and other businesses with wind, solar, and nuclear power. Also, manufacturer of electric cars proposes a big boost on that. Does not ban fracking that would require an act of Congress. He does plan to fund the project with tax increases on corporations, not too dissimilar from what happened here in Portland uh, when there was the local initiative that was passed by activists uh, to have a to tax larger corporations and use it to fund green jobs programs. Plan got backlash from oil and gas companies. I don't know if that's news. I guess well, it's news, but I don't know if it's surprising. Uh, as well as some environmentalists who are concerned about land development and usage. Uh, Dad, what is Biden's new plan? What is his version? He didn't call it a Green New Deal. Uh, but what does his new plan say about his reelection strategy? Well, I think his re-election strategy relates to his the, what he wants to accomplish as president of the United States, which is a novel idea based on the experience of the last four years. And he is he is thinking what the country really needs to do and says, okay, here's what I think the country really needs to do, and that's a reason that you ought to elect me. I think it's a really interesting uh, statement of Joe Biden, who uh, who really reflects. I think I think his basic strategy when he was described as a moderate. I, depending on what we mean by that, I took some issue with that. Not because not because not to defend uh, Joe Biden or criticize Joe Biden, but just because I thought it was an inaccurate descriptor. Joe Biden's political career, he has essentially aimed to reflect the median. Democratic voter. He has tried not to be the middle of the country, but the middle of the Democratic Party. And as the Democratic Party has moved in a progressive direction over the last you know, few years, uh, even several months, uh, he has, I think, moved along with the Democratic Party. Uh, his, and, and this, I think, demonstrates 
It, this has been a thing ever since. And shout out to Dan Carroll, who's from Eugene, who worked on the Obama campaign, who's one of the smarter, sort of bigger picture political strategists in the state, not always in the deal flow with a bunch of the the local machinations, but uh, but really, really smart guy. And he was pushing the Apollo Alliance 15 years ago, saying well before there were the words the Green New Deal uh, that he was pushing, and he was getting other. And you had the Blue Green Alliance with the Sierra Club and the Steelworkers Union that were trying to push this. Uh, and and I still think that that was just an enormous priority then. It's still an enormous priority. And what I like about you said, Pop, is wouldn't we love it if more and more elected officials ran for office based on things they wanted to accomplish that were related to the key priorities of the country, and then campaigns were about that? Boy, howdy, I would love democracy even more. I'll say. Some international stuff that I want to make sure people are aware of. Australia has told China that you have no legal basis for what you're doing in the South China Sea. And that's very interesting because Australia is very dependent on its trade with China, and it is a lot closer to China than it is to the United States. Uh, China has closed our embassy in Chengdu is in retaliation for our closing their embassy in Houston. The, there was a preliminary report coming in in the UK and Britain saying that Russia really, really did meddle in the Brexit vote and Boris Johnson has refused to agree with the report and particularly is told to the report which said there should be a more in-depth study. No, we're not going to do that. So apparently Boris is Boris may be in bed with Putin just as DDT is. And if anybody has any doubt that DDT is in bed with Putin, there have been, I think, seven calls, seven telephone calls between DDT and Putin in just in, in less than four months with no readouts. They're not providing any readouts. We don't know exactly what they're talking about. That's scary, man. That is really scary. I mean, really scary. In fact, DDT, as far as readouts is concerned, he decided he's not going to have readouts when he's talking to any foreign leader, which makes me very nervous. Egypt, the Egyptian parliament, has told the Egyptian... Well, let me me respond to that. Oh, sure, go ahead. Uh, We should should do your laundry list in the context of a segment called Laundry List, because then, you know, we can give some structure to the thing. But we... uh, Lest anybody not recognize. And this is something for our for our friends and listeners who are actively engaged in the protest. This is something I think for us to be aware of. One of one of and I've mentioned this before, but it, I think it bears mention again. One of Putin's tools, one of his tactics in trying to quell large uprising is to foment and promote small uprising. That's one of his tools. His uh, head of communications or theater director and they would, uh, and he, they would pay both sides to engage in some sort of fight. Sounds a little like, a little bit like Antifa versus Proud Boys, doesn't it? Uh, would would send in uh, essentially crisis actors, the same kind of thing when they were projecting and calling the the, the same language that was falsely used, uh, projected against the kids who are protesting against gun violence, which now seems so many years ago. Uh, 
and that, that they would actually employ crisis actors in Russia and in Ukraine to prop up false little skirmishes that would make most people feel like they didn't want to be involved in that kind of thing. Uh, and uh, and that is something I you know something I do want folks I do want us to be aware of and come to grips with uh, the Putin stuff seven conversations about readouts Dad that's a scary uh, that's a scary deal yes and, and while we're talking about Putin and unrest there there's been unrest in Khabarovsk which clearly is not something that he wanted where as many as 100,000 people have come out to protest the arrest of their governor, Sergei Fergal. That will be something for us to keep our eye on. Other international news. Poland. Poland is pulling out of the Istanbul Convention. The Istanbul Convention was an agreement, an international agreement dealing with violence against women and women's rights. They are pulling out of it, which uh, is a a serious portent. Have you heard about the monkeys in Thailand? I'm aware that there are monkeys in Thailand. Well, there are lots of monkeys in Thailand, and as a matter of fact, in Lob Puri, a city in Thailand, which has, in the past had tourists coming to see the monkeys. The masak, I, I don't know if it's masak or makak, however, however those monkeys are pronounced. Anywhere, there are so many of them. They have proliferated so much that they are literally taking over the town. They are everywhere. That's, and, and because the local religion is uh, is opposed to doing anything to combat monkeys, the monkeys just may wind up winning that all together. I, I don't know if this is international news, I don't know, if, or religious news or what, but there is serious call that we've got to have a patron saint for the Internet. And there are apparently two candidates one candidate for the patron saint of the internet is Saint Isidore, who was the Bishop of Seville in the sixth century. And that seems to be a reach, but a more likely one is a 15-year-old computer genius who died when he was 15 year old named Carlos Acutis in Milan. They're looking at canonizing him so that he can become the patron saint of the Internet. I'm, I'm not exactly clear of what a patron saint does, and if any of our listeners can enlighten us on that. I think it's who you pray to. I think it's who you pray to when you're wishing for yeah, I, I knew that, but, but what, sure. what, what, exactly, what exactly would they do for the Internet? Something about 5Gs? I don't know, but anyhow. Dad, let's get to election news. Uh, the uh, we got a we got a text and somebody suggested that the patron saint of the uh, of the internet should be Al Gore. Uh, he, he has to die first. And I'll say I've got I also got to say this: Al Gore never said he invented the internet. He never said that. Right? I know. What he did say was he played an important role 
in the facilitating legislation that took a piece of military technology and turned Skynet to be something, it wasn't Skynet, that's a movie, and made it something that more people could use. And he actually did do that. He actually did play a role. He got a real bad rap on that stuff, boy. Okay, Dad, here it is time now for election news. House Democrats have revealed a new voting bill to honor John Lewis. John Lewis, of course, passed away last week at 80 years old. Now, Democrats are crafting a bill to restore key parts of the Voting Rights Act of 1965 in his honor. One part of the Voting Rights Act required the Department of Justice to pre-clear any change in state laws about voter registration or polling locations. This helped ensure that people of all races had equal access to voting resources. In 2013, the Supreme Court struck down pre-clearance, just as Robert said that racism didn't exist anymore in our voting system. It had all been fixed. Well, Democrats are saying, it ain't all fixed. And in honor of John Lewis, let's restore that portion of the Voting Rights Act. The bill lays out a new updated formula for dealing with states that have a history of voter suppression. The bill would also provide resources for election officials, including vote-by-mail plans. Uh, Dad, the track record of this Supreme Court, while while John Roberts wasn't didn't didn't give churches special treatment as some religious activists wanted, their track record on voting rights has been O for everything. Every oh single vote by John Roberts has been against the expansion of voting rights and for the retraction of voting rights. Will the uh, will the death of John Lewis be a reminder to prioritize that? Is there a chance to shift the trajectory of lawmaking so that we expand the franchise rather than contract it? I so hope so. And if anybody has any doubts about the fundamental hypocrisy of the current majority on the United States Supreme Court, particularly when it comes to voting rights, here is a place to look because the Voting Rights Act provided protection by saying to states that had a long history of making it difficult or indeed often impossible for people of color to vote, to vote at all. And they held that it was constitutional when the law was first passed. Okay, if the law is constitutional when it is passed, then it is constitutional. But when the case came before them a few years ago, they said, no, it has now become unconstitutional because it is no longer needed. And you talk about judicial ledger domain that is absolutely mind-boggling. But, of course, what that does, that leaves it open for Congress to dis- determine as a question of fact that, indeed, it is needed. And so what, is the, what, is the, what will the Supreme Court do with that? But let's really hope that Congress takes that one on and makes a good bill, and it'll get through the House and can pick up a few unhypocritical Republicans in the Senate so that it gets out. 
assuming that Mitch O'Connell allows it to come off his desk. And of course, that would be that would be one which you would hope there would be a discharge petition so that it would have to come to the floor. Well, that other election news, more than 300,000 immigrants may not become citizens in time to vote. Yeah. Coronavirus has stalled the process of naturalization for many immigrants. Sounds like you know about this story. Yeah, they know about the story, and, and the, it's there could be as many as 300,000, which ought to be citizens in time to vote, won't. And I, I'm just a little suspicious, a little suspicious that there's somebody in the administration that recognizes folks who are about to become citizens have, as a general rule, a substantially greater understanding and knowledge of both the federal constitution and what is going on in the country than ordinary citizens because they have had to study it and pay attention and anybody who is being really paying attention and studying is much more likely to vote not to keep DDT in the White House and I'm just really suspicious that there is a connection there I, I could be paranoid I would be interested in your well, observation you're, you're, clearly, you're clearly paranoid it doesn't mean your paranoia is unjustified uh, in-person interviews and oath-swearing ceremonies have been suspended since March. By the way, uh, the, the president is not as motivated to, to lend to paranoia, Dan, I think to lend credence to your fears. The president has not been as motivated to shut down schools as he has been motivated to shut down immigration ceremonies. So in-person interviews and oath-swearing ceremonies have been suspended since March. By June, in-person services had resu- resumed, but many immigrants are still waiting on new appointments. As deadlines for voter registration approaches, many immigrants who are supposed to be citizens, of course, won't then be able to vote. U.S. Customs and Immigration has had big budget issues, so some of that inflow of cash installed, less money might be mean major employee furloughs and even more delays. And the data does show that immigrants do tend more likely to vote for Democratic candidates, which might give Trump, the Trump administration less incentive to aid with the uh, customs service. And, Dad, I was going to ask, and you already sort of answered, could this be seen as yet another form of voter suppression? <laughs> the answer is not just yes, but heck yes. I got a question in. Why can't the states do more to increase testing and contact tracing regarding COVID? I mean, I guess the answer I would say, dear listener, and thank you for, thank you for texting in, Joe Pesci, is... Uh, is, is resources. This is not to excuse state and local governments. Uh, they ought, you know, presumably to do more. But the uh, the, the big tools to move. I mean, if you're going to you're going to treat this like a uh, like a non-invasion, non-shooting war, then using the Defense Authorization Act, uh, using the full weight of the federal government, is not something that states can do. That's something that a president can do. And right now, we have a president who has powers he hasn't used, who's trying to leave it to the states, and instead of having the kind of federal response that so many other countries had, which is why we are not the epi- – it didn't start here. The, the funny thing to me about the president constantly saying, calling it a China virus is he fails it's, to recognize – It's the American virus. 
is that now, and and yet it didn't start here. It didn't have to happen here to the degree it has. And that's not largely on governors. That's largely on the federal government because they got those resources. Uh, but of course, we should be doing everything that we can. Another piece of election news. We've got, uh, I did a little research on patron saints, by the way. That's pretty close to right, I think. I think it's just who to pray to. And, and although they do say they try, they do try to assign patron saints dead based on there being some presumed relationship, uh, with the persons or places involved. Part of the challenge of having a patron saint of the internet is finding, uh, finding a, somebody who is a saint who had good Wi-Fi access you know, a hundred years ago is a very hard thing to do, right? <laughs> Finding everybody with 4G, anything with mobile internet, I mean, get out of town. They didn't have any chance of that kind of stuff. Anyhow, back to election news. Uh, before other election news. Oh, okay. Well, go ahead. We're going to, we're going to have perhaps in the next seven days, Biden's announcement of who he is nominating for his VEEP. And I'm thinking it might be kind of fun to have some sort of a a contest or some sort of a, a poll among our listeners as to who they think it will be, not who they want it to be, although we could do both, ask people to say, who do you want it to be, who do you think it will be? But I would be really interested to see what our listeners have on that, and I would be very interested in... Your answers to those two questions. Yeah, I uh, I've thought for a while that Kamala Harris was, and I don't think anybody has. I haven't felt I haven't felt thirty five percent, much less than fifty one percent confident of anybody. But I felt for a while that Kamala Harris uh, might well be the uh, might well be the pick, and if. Uh, and what Susan Rice has going for her is that they have a longer-standing relationship. In my mind, if I could only narrow it to two, then I thought were most likely it would be those two. But I don't have any special information. If people do want to text in and offer their desire and or prediction, make clear which is which, uh, feel free to do that. But I, my attentions go beyond that. My attentions go beyond the vice, president's, vice presidential appointment when it comes to political news. The most interesting polls I've seen recently are in Arizona and Florida. Mark Kelly in Arizona up double digits in that U.S. Senate seat in a, in a state that has been a Republican state until not that recently, until not that long ago. Uh, and I, 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 think, Florida, I, think, I think I think the last senator that was a Democrat from Arizona was Udall, which goes back a long way. No, they have one right now. Uh, the last senator they elected was a, right. uh, was a was a Democrat, but the but yeah, prior to her uh, prior to Christian Cinema, it's been very very rare that Arizona sent uh, very very rare that uh, uh, Arizona sent Democrats to Washington uh, in the to the U.S. Senate. Uh, the other one though is Florida showing a double digit lead for Biden, and here and the little the little bell I wanted to ring here, the little dot I wanted to connect here is. Those are old states. Those are states where lots of lot of Westerners get places in Arizona to retire. Lots of Easterners get places in Florida to retire. Those are two of the oldest states in the union. And what happens to old people when they get coronavirus? Well, they are disproportionately impacted by it. 
And the fact that the president has failed to prioritize protecting people with the coronavirus, that means he has disproportionately failed to defend older people from the coronavirus. And I think that this, I could put this in the form of a question, except that I have the opinion. I do believe, and you can feel free to respond, I do believe this is driving the current distaste of Republicans, the current inability of the Republican candidate in Arizona uh, and the Republican and Donald Trump himself in Florida to even get to 40 percent uh, approval, 40 percent likelihood of getting people's votes. Feel free to respond. Otherwise, we got a guest waiting. I do have a guest waiting. I agree with what you just said. I do want to mention before we get away a couple of international things I wanted to mention. Goldman Sachs has agreed to pay $3.9 billion to Malaysia for their part in a big fraudulent fraud scheme. And Russia is testing a space-based weapon to destroy satellites. Very scary. And we're back, and we have on the line with us 100-year-old, as of April 7th, Ski Kowaleski, who has a bunch of fascinating things to tell about. Let me just introduce him a little bit. First, let me make sure, Ski, are you hearing me okay? Uh, I, uh, yeah, you're pretty weak, but um, I'm hearing you okay. Okay, uh, I will. T- I will speak loud. Yeah, can you, uh, you know, uh, uh, talk a little louder to me? Because uh, I, I will talk loud because I understand. I'm 15 years younger than you are, and I'm already having hearing problems, so I understand yours. Just ski was a naval aviator. Before that, he was. On the crew of the Navy, he, he joined the Navy just two months before Pearl Harbor. And my first question to you, Ski, is how did you happen to join the Navy in October of 1941, which was two months before we joined the war? Uh, well, uh, there, there were, uh, I was... I was going to be drafted in the army, and uh, in, 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 instead of that, uh, I decided to uh, join the navy, uh, and uh, I, I figured that would be a better deal than uh, carrying a rifle over in Europe, I'd be uh, you know uh, on, on some navy ships. When you joined, did you did, did that give you a little bit more leverage in what you got to do as a sailor? Uh, yeah, yes. Uh, when I first joined, uh, I, uh, I I was sent to radio school, and and then uh, I graduated from radio school, and uh, I I got into a torpedo squadron uh, 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 later. And I've 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 served in uh, I've served on uh, four aircraft carriers, the USS uh, on the on the uh, Saratoga, CV3, on the USS Hornet, CV8, and the Cassin Bay, and the uh, uh, USS Cord in the North Atlantic. Now I I've served in uh, in the Pacific. 
was on Guadalcanal, and I've I've served uh, 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 and we delivered airplanes to Alaska, and I've also served in the North Atlantic. We uh, sank a German submarine in the North Atlantic. And I, I and I understand you sunk the submarine, but apparently you got at least some of the crew off the submarine, including the captain. And, and do I understand the captain no, died no, no, on no. board? No, no, we sank we sank a Japanese aircraft carrier uh, in the in the Pacific, and a uh, a, a, a German it was a German submarine incident. Uh, uh, in the North Atlantic, right, and and when you when you got the submarine in the North Atlantic, you took the apparently you took the captain of the submarine captive, and he then died on board. Uh, yes, uh, actually, what happened is uh, we had two two uh, destroyer escorts with us, and they had a uh, sea sea battle surface battle with the submarine, and. Uh, they uh, rammed, they rammed the submarine, and the submarine sank. And 32 of the crew members were rescued, including the captain. And the captain had been hit uh, in the uh, knee, badly damaged in the knee. And uh, uh, they were later transferred to the aircraft carrier uh, to U to the USS Card. And uh, uh, we gave the captain. Uh, uh, he was given about, uh, I think, uh, five, five uh, blood transfusions, but he dried that night. And then they had a, uh, a, a selection. They had a burial at sea of the of the uh, German submarine captain. Now you you served, if I understand correctly, as a radio operator. You rode in the back seat of various airplanes. I'm curious to know, were you in Corsairs or were you in Hellcats? What what were the airplanes that you were running the radio for? Yeah, we were in the TBF uh, Grumman torpedo bombers, uh -huh. the TBF-1. And I was a gunner back in the turret uh, in the Pacific and uh, a 50 caliber m machine gun uh, turret. And those were dive bombers, weren't they? Uh, uh, no, no. Uh, it was a, a torpedo plane. Oh, but, a, tra a, a torpedo bomber, yeah. But but they would they would descend very quickly and drop their torpedo and then climb very quickly. Yeah, that, that was it. It was a torpedo bomber, yeah. And then you managed to become a pilot. How did you pull that off? Well, uh, actually, I, w I was brought uh, af after... I served in the Pacific. When I came back to the United States, uh, I, uh, I I got aboard two uh, uh, escort carriers, the USS the the, the Casson Bay and the USS Card, and uh, the, uh, the, the uh, uh, I uh, I was in the Navy and I applied for a Navy flight training. And got accepted, and, and I went to. Uh, I graduated as a Navy pilot uh, in uh, uh, 1944, uh, uh, and the war was winding down, and uh, 
I I served uh, I I flew in the Navy for about ten years, and then after uh, I got I got out I got, I retired out of the Navy in 1960, and uh, I applied for the FAA. I was a flight inspector with the FAA. Uh, 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 and here, ten years up here in Alaska. Did uh, have you done a lot of bush flying in Alaska? No, I I, di- I didn't do any bush flying at all. I've owned uh, some private airplanes. I've owned about six uh, of my own airplanes. You know. What did you? And, what, uh, what, what, I know you have a couple of ultralights now. What other well, airplanes well, did you own? Uh, no, I I I. Uh, I, I had them at one time, but I don't have them anymore. I've I've sold all of my airplanes because I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm a hundred years old and uh, I kind of quit flying my private airplanes. So well, when uh, when when do you, when was your last medical? Well, uh, it, my medical was quite a few years ago, so it's out of date. So I haven't flown for probably five or six years. Uh huh. Well, if you if you were flying at ninety four, you were doing very well. Uh, I've been flying for fifty years myself. I've owned three Moonies. Did you ever own a Mooney? Uh, say again. I said I wondered if you ever owned a Mooney. Uh, no, I, I no, I never owned owned a a, a, a Moody. No, uh-uh. I've had a Super Cub and a. Uh, 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 If you had to pick your two or three most vivid memories or or most vivid experiences during the war, what would they be? Uh, well, I, I I think the uh, probably the biggest thing I was impressed with was was when they had the German the captain on board the USS uh, Card uh, and. Uh, uh, he was. They were going to bury him at sea, and they had the, the entire crew up there at quarters. And uh, they brought the uh, remaining. There was 32 people survived, uh, and they just wandered up. They had lost all their gear, and uh, they just wandered up like a disorganized mob. And uh, and then all, all all of a sudden. Uh, one of them said, "Aktun, Aktun," and they they lined up. They, they lined up perfectly, and they had hand, planned this ahead of time, apparently. And then they gave the German salute, the Sieg Heil, Sieg Heil, Sieg Heil, three times, uh, and then they uh, cu- cut the line that, that released the body of the uh, captain to, to the sea. Oh, so so that was yeah. a ceremony conducted by the submarine crew. Yeah, that that was a, probably the biggest thing I that I was impressed with, really. And uh, what would the you you have written a book, a sailor's life in World War Two, and on the cover of the book, there is a picture apparently of you in the water. Is that something that actually happened? And if so, tell us yes, about it. That actually happened. I mean, uh, I was on the uh, 
uh, Saratoga, and they were taking off, and uh, uh, the uh, airplane uh, tail hook uh, caught the last cable uh, by mistake, and we crashed into the sea. And, and that, uh, uh, on the cover of my book, uh, uh, the uh, that's me in, in the water, uh, just north of the airplane, a little bit outside the airplane. Actually, when we took, we had four or five hundred pound depth charges, and uh, I wanted to get away from that airplane. Oh boy, I'll say. Uh, uh, you know, I thought maybe they would explode, and so I. Uh, I, I, I ran down the wing and dove in into the uh, ocean and, and swam away from the airplane. And there was two other crew member on the members on the airplane, and they uh, uh, launched a rubber raft. Actually, the uh, each every airplane has a rubber raft on the side in a compartment. They open that compartment and they can take the rubber raft out and launch it. Well, they launched the rubber raft, and I, and I uh, swam back, uh, you know, to the raft, and I climbed into the raft. And then the uh, plane guard, the uh, we have a destroyer that follows the carrier. It's called a plane guard. Uh, it it, it uh, came up al- uh, alongside, and uh, uh, we we were alongside this uh, a, a plane guard, and it was a ladder you had to climb. Uh, yeah, to get get aboard the the uh, destroyer, and uh, uh, actually, I uh, 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 the sailor up above. I thought he was going to say, uh, "Hey, you know, can I help you, uh, sailor?" And uh, I had been uh, I, I had a little bit of a, 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 a injury under my eye, and I was bleeding a little bit, and, and uh, I had a forty five pistol. And and uh, I I I felt like you know shooting a guy for, with his pistol, <laughs> but, but but instead of that he says, "Hey sailor, you want to sell your 45 And I I felt like sh- uh, shooting him. Anyway, <laughs> we got we got aboard the uh, uh, aboard the destroyer, and uh, we got transferred back to the Saratoga uh, after three days on the. Uh, uh, Destroyer, and uh, the captain, uh, uh, Captain Larson of Torpedo Squadron Eight, uh, 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 he called me into the office and he said, "Are you okay?" I said, "Yeah, I'm all right." So I was on the flight schedule the next day. So uh, uh, I, I didn't dodge much of the, my duty there. So, uh, Okay, we we got to bail pretty quick, but I just how if somebody wanted to get your book, how would they do it? Uh, say again. I say if somebody wanted to get a copy of your book, how would they do it? Yeah. Okay. My book, my book, A Sailor's Life in World War Two, and the Pageborn Murder are both available uh, on uh, Amazon Books and uh, Barnes and Noble. And uh, all all of the profits I get from the book are given, uh, donated to an Alaska selected worthy cause, well, and uh, I've uh, donated to quite a few uh, 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 people here, and, and I've donated a lot of a lot of uh, of my donations. 
Well, Ski Kowaleski, we so appreciate your spending time with us. And I understand that you've set a goal to make it 105. Hope you make it. Well, I'm shooting for 105. And uh, I'm not 100 years old now. I'm over 100 years old. I'm I'm 100 in about two months. So, hey, it was great talking to you, okay? Thanks a bunch. Have a good one. And we're back. And Jefferson, are you with us? Yeah, I guess you guys couldn't hear me. I, I guess I'd been polite uh, make sure that I wasn't causing interference with the interview. Maybe my maybe that was very intentional. I, I so appreciate the interview you guys did, man. That was so great, Pop. Thank you for doing that booking. Thanks for that conversation. It was a joy to listen to, and I really appreciate you doing it. Okay, well, I'm going to pass the baton back to you. I, geographically, I do believe that is entirely impossible. <laughs> that said, I think that it is time to talk to our friend Tim Markoff. Uh, before we do, I did the thing I wanted to get his reflection on, if he had one, was what relevance looking back in history, World War II, had to him he thought should have more broadly, and also what lessons of fighting fascism did he want to make sure that we don't forget. As you and I have talked about before, uh, I, it is it is not lost on me that the Confederacy rose uh, just at the time when nearly all the Revolutionary War veterans had passed away. At the time in the 1860s when uh, folks were wanting to split asunder the country to preserve the race institution of slavery, it's not an accident that that was after the memories had started to pass and the voices had faded of people who lost their lives to create one nation. It is not lost on me now that a, a resurgence of swastikas, a resurgence of yes, Confederate symbols uh, are emerging at a time when our World War II vets are either 100 years old or passing away, uh, or actually passed away. So, uh, But I really appreciate, appreciate you, Dad, having that conversation, and uh, thank you so much. Well, shoot, I wish we, we maybe should call him back because those were great questions to ask. <laughs> I'm thinking I'm thinking maybe I should do my straw in the wind so you can talk to Tom Margraff. No, I think that because I don't know. We'll have to find out. Sometimes two, two people on the phone doesn't work. It may be that, it may be that you end up talking to Tim, uh, and it's about international news. You love that talk about international news. Pretty much any time I say it's time for election news, you'll say, well, while we're talking about international news, and you're talking about international news anyway. So I think this is the perfect time for you to engage in a discussion about international news, which is what Tim does. But why don't we bring on Tim Barcroft, who is, in fact, our chief international correspondent. Tim, are you there? Good morning. Hello, Jeff. You are also on with the star of our show, my dad, Joe Smith. Good morning, Tim. Hello, Joe. Good morning. Where, where are you this morning, and how hot is it? Uh, I am in the very small mountain town of Orier, and to 28 Celsius, I think, so high 70s. It's not so bad here, but I am at about 3,300 feet. Uh, elsewhere in France, it's quite hot, and we're, we have some places that are uh, pushing 100 today, and it's uh, at the end of the week, we're expected to get even hotter. So, uh <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's been a better year than last. Much more rain, uh, storms like you usually get here during the summer. But uh, like last year, it's going to be a hot one, I think. 
How's the weather there? It's 100 here yesterday, maybe 100 again today. Last time I looked, 28 Celsius was about 82. And uh, so that's it's late afternoon where you are, so it must be pretty nice. What do you want to talk about? Well, uh, I wanted to talk about the Ni- the Blue Nile Dam, the Ethiopian Renaissance Dam that has been the subject of some controversy and conflict between Egypt, Sudan, and Ethiopia that has finished building the dam and may or may not have started intentionally filling it, uh, depending on who you ask. Um, the story is, basically, uh, and I don't know if you've been following this, but in 2011... Yeah, we, 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 ju- we just briefly mentioned it a, a, couple, a couple of weeks ago, and I'm delighted to know we're going to get it in-depth, because it struck me then that it could lead to an actual war if they don't settle it peacefully. So I've, uh, I've gone through the effort of reading through news sources from a variety of countries in preparation for this, and uh, the danger of war is represented very, very differently depending on what country you're talking about. So for context, in 2011, Ethiopia began construction on what they call the Ethiopian Renaissance Dam. Ethiopia um, is a country that is a major... Uh, regional power within the Horn of Africa, East Africa, and they have a population which uh, is about 65% um, non-electrified, so they don't have access to electricity. This dam would be the largest hydroelectric project in Africa, and it would provide enough electricity for all of Ethiopia and under its current needs and even industrializing, which is what they're hoping to do, and it would provide enough power to export to neighboring Kenya and Sudan, particularly. Are you saying that, is, that, that it's bigger than Aswan? It, it is bigger. It is wow. the biggest dam in Africa. Wow. Yeah. And it's upriver from Aswan. Yeah, I knew it was up, well um, upriver. Well, so the Blue Nile is one of the two Nile tributaries, the Blue Nile and the White Nile. The Blue Nile um, begins in the Ethiopian highlands and supplies about 85% of the Nile River, that the one that flows through Egypt, the one that most of our, us are familiar with, it supplies 85% of that river's water. Um, so the obvious source of this conflict is that Ethiopia um, wants to be able to electrify its country on its own terms, and Egypt and Sudan um, want to be guaranteed a certain amount of water. And this is particularly the case of Egypt because uh, there are very few sources of fresh water in Egypt outside of the Nile, which provides 90% of the water for the population. So it's a pretty significant um, it's a pretty significant interest for them for the Nile to continue uh, flowing at its current level. Now, hydroelectric dams, once they're running, um, don't continue to stockpile water. Uh, they just the flow remains at the same rate, uh, but. Uh, during the process of filling up this massive, massive, incredibly huge reservoir um, that Ethiopia is going to fill behind this dam, there's the risk that downstream they'd be getting less water. And this is where different stories come out. Depending on who you ask, uh, if you're reading an Egyptian news agency, you're going to get a very catastrophic analysis of the uh, that this could remove half of Egypt's arable land from use. Uh, and if you're reading uh, 
Turkish source, which I did, um, you're going to get more focus on uh, how all parties have an interest in um, maintaining a positive environment of negotiation, how the African Union is coming together to make this a possibility. Um, essentially, the conflict boils down to how quickly they're going to fill the dam on the Ethiopian side. If they do it really quickly, there's maybe not going to be enough water in Sudan, but mostly in Egypt. And if they do it uh, not so quickly, then Ethiopia is going to have to delay its major industrialization plans for a generation because there won't be enough water to generate the kind of power they need. Um, this is a, a pretty fundamental conflict of interest, but I think this is the big but. All signs that I can see, while this is a, an important issue, point to continuing mediation and negotiation. No thanks at all to the Trump administration, um, which was invited in to attempt to mediate this situation in 2018, invited in by the dictator of Egypt, uh, al-Sisi. After Trump took to the stump to insult the prime minister of Ethiopia, who had just won the Nobel Peace Prize, because I think I have to assume that he didn't like that, that someone other than him was getting attention. That's, I think, a good default hypothesis when dealing with Trump. Um, anyway, Trump was brought into this negotiation process. Steve Mnuchin uh, was the U.S. head of it, and it was held, handled through the Treasury Department. Anyway, the U.S. did a terrible job of it, made the situation worse, and the uh, African Union is now stepping in to play the role of negotiator. They are in somewhat of a split right now, and this is uncomfortable for them, um, with the Arab League, which mostly represents the interests of North African Sahel era area countries, whereas the African Union is seen to represent more the interests of Black and Sub-Saharan Africa. So all of that is to say that even though there are significant conflicts on fundamental issues such as water rights and power generation, it does seem like um, Pan-African negotiation is moving forward, and uh, over the last few rounds of meetings, none of the official spokespeople have come out of the meeting um, making any aggressive noises. All of the really aggressive talk I've heard has come from analysts, mostly in U.S. news sources, such as Voice of America, and um, I'm skeptical of that source given the context. So, uh, big big issue for the people in the region, um, and overall, I am uh, optimistic. Do you have any questions about this? Well, I, it's just something that we really need to watch, and I'm delighted to hear that the risk of armed conflict may have been reduced. And and you mentioned VOA Voice of America. Has there been much news in where you are about the changes that have been taking place at the VOA? No. Most of that stuff gets reported with reference to the Global South because that's mostly where VOA ha was created to have influence. Uh, tell me more. Well, it's just that that the new boss there has got rid of all kinds of people, and, and it looks like the intention is to turn it into a voice not for America, but a voice for Donald Trump. 
Well, uh, if the articles that I read from Voice of America on this Ethiopian dam issue are any, um, uh, let's say, indication, uh, it does seem to follow the line that Donald Trump took on this, which is, I believe the headline was something like, Ethiopia increasing regional instability filling dam. Ah, yes. So in this moment, we are, there. Are, if you are seeing headlines on this topic, it's because there is some unclearness about whether Ethiopia has started filling its dam intentionally um, without having come to a previous agreement with Egypt and Sudan, which would be a logical cause of tensions, or if it was just that there was a lot of rain in the Ethiopian highlands, and so it has caused satellite images of uh, the reservoir behind the dam filling up to circulate around the Internet. Uh, The Ethiopian government is denying it, uh, Egypt doesn't appear to be making strong accusations, neither does Sudan. So again, I'm hopeful that this is not going to be a regional conflict sort of thing. Um, but uh, if you're seeing anything come across your feed, that would be why. One last piece of context that I forgot to mention. All of this, as with many things in this that part of Africa, um, can be blamed on the British. And that's because during the 1920s, uh, during the British colonial period in East Africa, they apportioned the water rights for the Nile, uh, something like 95% to Egypt and like 5% to Sudan, both of which were British colonies at the time. This has evolved with various treaties moving forward during the decolonization period in the 1950s and 60s, but uh, fundamentally the quote-unquote standing international law, which Ethiopia was never a party to, um, says that uh, Egypt has rights to something now like 75% of the water from the Nile and preemption rights on all uh, projects that would in any way influence the flow of that water. So this is yet another uh, colonial hangover in some sense where the peoples of Africa and the nations are attempting to untie the knots uh, that were created during British colonialism. And um, it's encouraging to me that they seem to be doing a fine job and uh, that (laughs) without uh, Donald Trump's quote-unquote help. Talking about Britain, uh, do you have any comment on what Boris Johnson has, has had to say about the meddling of Russia in the Brexit vote. Um, I have not been following that. Um, would ah, you tell well, me more? The, the news the new says that, that he doesn't agree with the report and is not willing to look any further, which sounds a whole lot like somebody on this side of the water. Yeah. It, 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 is, uh, it is strikingly familiar to followers of U.S. politics. Um, it's also funny, I, I saw something pass by my, my feed, and I didn't look into it, but perhaps you know more, that apparently Boris Johnson uh, said to somebody in some cabinet meeting, because these things leak like a sieve, that uh, he would really, really like it if Donald Trump did not get reelected. Um, and so it sounds to me, if, you take, if all these things are true and you take them together, uh, like Boris Johnson is... You know, not a good guy, not a nice guy, not somebody we should be rooting for. Um, but in a 
in kind of in kind of a tough position where he like he he has a natural ally in Donald Trump who is unstable and unreliable and who he really wishes would be replaced with somebody he could count on <laughs> um but he can't go out there and say anything to that effect or say anything that would uh get him into a row with Donald Trump like bringing up the Russia question a bunch um because if they're going to do Brexit, they're going to need a favorable U.S. trade deal. Because if they don't have a favorable U.S. trade deal and they end up on bad terms with the EU, um, that's that's not a good position uh, for Mr. Boris Johnson or for the British people to be in. So uh, I think I think uh, Boris Johnson is stuck in an unenviable position right now. So. And, uh, Tim, it's been wonderful to have you. Glad you are here. And I've got just time to do my straw in the wind before we turn things over to Tom Hartman. Have a great one. Thank you so much. Thank you. Straw in the wind. Two straws in the wind. New York is going to get DDT's financials, it looks like, and that could be serious straw in the wind. And the Virginia Speaker of the House has ordered the removal of eight, count them, eight Confederate statues and busts from the Virginia Capitol. Jefferson, are you there to say goodbye? Yeah, love you, Pop. Should love you, too. This, should pass along this news, if you can hear me, that Trump's national security advisor, uh, Robert O'Brien, has tested positive for COVID-19. Oh, my goodness. The highest-ranking Trump official to test positive. Apparently, his last his last public appearance was over two weeks ago uh, with Donald Trump, uh, and I don't believe this information came out because of a release of uh, a release of information by the White House through official channels. Uh, but otherwise, I love you, Pop. Love you too, and we'll be back on Thursday.